Hey, everybody. It's TV host and brand builder Kim Parrish, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody. My name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today has been featured in hundreds of articles from TV Guide to the New York Times and is a familiar face to millions who welcomed her into their homes as a popular TV host on QVC. Her work with renowned designers inspired her to combine her sense of style and her entrepreneurial spirit to launch the Kim Parrish Collection clothing line, which ran successfully on shopping networks around the world. Now, she is celebrating how women look at every age in her role as beauty expert on Jane Seymour's Secret to Youthful Looking Skin, the nationally top-ranked infomercial that introduces Crepe Race, which is an anti-aging line of body care. As the brand's spokesperson and director of education, she launched Crepe Race on QVC, and it quickly became a rising star nominee in the QVC Customer Choice Awards. She's a national award winner for Female Executive and Innovator of the Year by the Stevie Awards for Women in Business for her work as the past president of MAO Team. She is the author of The Snapdragon Princess and is a proud mom to two fabulous boys who describe themselves as kidpreneurs, dedicating hundreds of hours a year to running their own social causes. She's a good friend and definitely a mentor to me in the hosting world. I always enjoy a good conversation with her, Kim Parrish. Always great to have you on. Welcome to Life After the Crown. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah, I always enjoy this. Uh, So I want to go back a little bit because I want to tell people how we met. So before your days as president of MAO Teen in the pageant world, uh, I don't think a lot of people might know that you were Miss West Virginia 1992. Yes, I know we are aging ourselves here. (laughs) But this is how we actually met. Uh, I hosted the pageant in 2001 there in West Virginia when I worked in television there. So I want you to talk about your early days of pageantry and how you got into this world. Yeah, you know, I started competing in pageants. Um, I did a few teen pageants uh, throughout my high school existence. And then I decided I actually wanted to compete in the Miss USA system. But I found these pageants that were free in my local area, and they were local pageants to the Miss America organization. So I thought I would compete in them and get a little uh, experience under my belt and just have some fun and compete in pageants and then come back later that fall and compete for Miss West Virginia USA. Ironically, um, I got first runner-up, actually got second runner-up in the very first one. I was doing a monologue. I was a theater major, so it seemed to be pretty obvious I should just act, right? And I went back to another one and ended up being first runner-up. And I watched the different types of talents and the interviews, and I really analyzed the type of competition that I was competing with. And I decided, you know what, I could get very serious about this Miss America organization. I was a dancer as well, so I choreographed a dance, and I competed. And I won um, Miss Marion County area and then went on to be Miss West Virginia that year. So it was kind of by accident that I uh, was involved in the Miss America organization, but um, through that experience, I gained so much 
So you mentioned that you wanted to compete originally in the USA system, and then you ended up competing in some prelims in the America system. What about USA made it attractive to you that you wanted to do that originally? Well, I think at first, um, having not known a whole lot about pageants at that time, only having done a few, like I said, team competitions, I felt that um, to compete in the Miss America system, you must have some amazing talent. Um, obviously, watching the, the network and the, the broadcast throughout the years, you saw some extraordinary talents compete back in the day. So um, for me, I think I might have been intimidated. And then once I got in the mix of it and started to get to know the girls and realized we were all exactly the same, uh, it was just appealing for me then to choreograph my dance and, and to give it a try. And then, like I said, once I started to analyze it, I realized, you know, competing in pageants is, is very formulaic. It's about build, uh, building goals and setting your goals higher and then just achieving them throughout the process. So for me, it was dedicating 12 hours a day to studying interview and watching the news and practicing my dance and working out for swimsuit and practicing my walk and all of the things that girls do. It was just making sure that I fine-tuned everything so I could show up and hopefully take the crown home. Well, obviously, it resonated with you because then you go on to become the president of MAO Teen down the line. What year was that, by the way, that you started MAO Teen? Oh, well, I actually, 2007, in the fall of 2007, I took over as president of Miss America's Outstanding Teen. But if we rewind, literally a couple of years prior to that, in 2004, I was leaving QVC. I had had a wonderful nine-year run as a host on QVC, and I had a one-year non-compete in my, my contract, which meant I couldn't work in the TV shopping industry anywhere else for a full year. So I decided at that point, I was on the boardwalk at Miss America with a good friend of mine, and I'm from West Virginia, although I was living in Philadelphia at the time, and um, we decided we should run the teen program, volunteer in the state of West Virginia, and get it off its feet, because this was the year they were going to begin to unroll this teen program. So I actually ran the state of West Virginia for two and a half years, and uh, simultaneously launching my clothing collection, which was going to start to air on the Home Shopping Network. So I was, uh, I was running uh, my business like a hobby and my hobby like a business <laughs> at that time because I loved running the, uh, the, the team program and I loved starting something from scratch and building this volunteer program. But I also had a career <laughs> and a brand that I was building, the Kim Parrish collection of clothing that was airing on the Home Shopping Network. So I literally had two brands that I was building at the same time. So I had to let one go, and uh, I thought the one that paid the mortgage was probably the most important. So I kept the clothing line on the Home Shopping Network, and I let my volunteer work go. At the same time, I was asked to judge... Um, that following year, the national competition. Luckily, I didn't know anybody, um, and I was able to come down and judge and get a chance to see the inner workings of the national organization. And it was at that time in 2007, the fall of 2007, that I was asked to take over as president. Who asked you, Sam Haskell? No. Actually, Miss America and um, Miss America's Outstanding Teen uh, had two separate boards. So Stacey Shefflin, who is one of my mentors, and you may know her as her daughter was Miss Florida, US, Miss Florida Teen USA, um, but she and I have been involved in the TV shopping industry for many, many years. And in fact, I got her involved in um, the Miss America's Outstanding Teen organization when she judged the West Virginia program for me. So she was asked to be on the board a couple years earlier. And it was her and uh, Donna Bozart, the chairman of the organization, that approached me um, with becoming president. Well, I want to say this to everybody listening. So for those of you who have competed in MAO Teen in the past or currently do, I mean, really the reason that it became so prominent and so successful is because of Kim. 
Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we can get into how you built it and what you really saw when you first got in and said, you know, here's what I think I can do and here's what I think needs to happen in order to make it what it could be. Uh, maybe just kind of walk through right. the process. Yeah. You know, at the time, Miss um, America's Outstanding Team was just two years old, we had crowned the third winner when I took over. It was Caitlin Brunel, and she was amazing. But at the time, it was just really important to understand the brand image. Um, as, as with anything, if you, you can't sell a brand unless you know what the image is. You, can't, you have to know what, what it is that you are promoting. So for me, I had to do a lot of cleaning up, making sure that the brand image of MAO team was strong and resonating. And then um, I also needed to really work on marketing and, and PR because, of course, um, Everything comes down to, do people know about your product? So um, Caitlin, luckily, had a wonderful platform, Caitlin's Closet, and she was easy to promote. She was gorgeous. So we made some connections and got her on some national magazines and had her featured in several things, I believe, even including USA Today. So she was easy to market. And when you have a winner like that, that makes other girls want to compete because they see how successful she is. And of course, everybody emulates that or, or wants to be that. So she, she was wonderful. And then from there, we had to start to build a budget. Um, the program was struggling, very, very struggling. And we had to work into place um, fundraisers and areas where um, we could generate um, a profit or a cash flow. And then we could also start to, um, I like to think of it as build a groundswelling of support. So for me, I launched a few things that I was incredibly passionate about, one of which was teens in training camp, and that came a couple years later. First of all, we already had a princess camp in place, which was very important at getting the young girls in at a, at a, at a young age and getting them exposed to the program and hoping they would continue to stick around over time. So our princess camp had launched. We may have had 20 or 30 girls. By my last year, we were up to 90 princesses, and each girl having the time of her life from photo shoots to performing on stage to getting a chance to hang out with Miss America and Miss America's Outstanding Teen. And that's what it's all about, right? Well, <laughs> and, then I, and then I developed something called Teens in Training Camp, and I was actually greatly inspired by um, the fantasy camp that Miss USA had, or Miss Teen USA. I wanted it to be even more than that. So for me, Teens in Training Camp was bringing girls in um, between the ages of 13 and 19 and teaching them things that I would like to think of as not pageant skills, but life skills, interview, um, public speaking, how to navigate social media, how to promote yourself, how to find your personal brand image, um, walking and talking and dressing, wardrobing, all of that is important in real life just as it is uh, if you were to compete on stage. So Teens in Training Camp launched, and I think the first year we had 17 girls, which was exciting. I found an amazing um, young woman who was a previous title holder to run it, Tawny Darby, and she was Miss Pennsylvania's Outstanding Teen, I think in 2005, and uh, she actually ran it, and together we brainstormed it and built an incredible brand with it, and I think by the time I left, we had close to 60 participants. So um, that right there was not only just giving girls empowerment and knowledge, but it was also hoping then they would take that back to their states and become viable contestants. What was incredible was to watch the girls come through the program and sift their way up from princess to teens in training camp to appearing on stage at Miss America's Outstanding Teen So as a contestant. So um, just really making this um, an empowering 
empowerment opportunity for young girls to go through the program. Then I also launched something called Prince Camp in the the latter two years. And um, I did it for two reasons. Selfishly, I had two boys (laughs) and uh, they wanted to get involved in something. But I also wanted to change the demographic a little bit. As I was growing this brand, I wanted the brand to be more of um, a scholarship and empowerment and an opportunity organization versus a pageant. And so for me, um, providing opportunities for young people was what was very important to me. And then the next thing that I developed, too, with Miss America's Outstanding Teen was um, something I did selfishly and then unselfishly, too, and that was Prince Camp. I have two boys, and they were always involved in theater arts, so I sat through a lot of different types of theater training. And I thought this would be a great way, again, to create that family affair at Miss America's Outstanding Teen competition, bring the boys in, teach them theater arts from a professional, and then also um, they built the set and wrote the script and performed this live production in our trade show. So it brought people into the trade show. So as I was growing Miss America's Outstanding Teen, we were always looking for ways to change our demographic, make us um, more of a scholarship and an empowerment organization versus a pageant. And that helped us out with um, fundraising and grant writing and um, also getting our name out there is just something incredibly credible for teaching young kids. Well, you mentioned something there at the beginning of, you know, how you kind of rebranded MAO Teen and, and really got it out there. And I think one of the things that you mentioned was uh, one of the title holders, you got her into magazines on covers, uh, USA Today, and you got her out there in front of the public eye and, and I guess kind of transcended the pageant world where people knew more about this uh, girl. And that's what tends to inspire a lot of the other girls to compete. Now, I've had podcasts for the last four weeks with two former Miss Americas, a former Miss USA and a former Fox News anchor. And they all kind of hit on that same subject of the glamour of the title in both organizations that, you know, right now seems to be missing. Do you agree with that? I mean, you're a great marketer, so you would probably have a, I would imagine, an opinion on this. I absolutely agree with that. And I I also think that social media comes into play into changing the way that we get attention these days. We want attention and that we also um, promote ourselves, meaning, you know, 10 years ago or um, more than that in 2007, when we started to rebrand Miss America outstanding team. There was social media, but it wasn't as um, crazy active as it is today. Everybody's tweeting and, and face, uh, you know, Snapchatting and Instagramming. And it just seems like kids are just gravitating toward that. I have a 13 year old son and he's always talking about how people become Insta famous and how many likes he gets. And I think that there's so much of an emphasis now for young girls on social media to get the attention and to get the likes that they may or may not be wanting to go out and and risk anything to compete in a pageant. So I think numbers are down across the board because girls are just not getting themselves out there to achieve that glamorous title anymore. I also don't think that, um, I think that we all need to evolve. I think that uh, there have been a lot of um, former Miss Americas and Miss USAs that have really taken to social media and have promoted the organization. And then there have been several that, that it wasn't their forte and it wasn't their thing. I think that the national organization needs to make sure that their title holder is the voice of their social media accounts and that she knows that she's out there. She's promoting what she's doing. And she's also getting other girls to become involved in the program. We did something with a 
recent title holder, one of my favorites, Nicole Gia, and she had a platform right at the cusp of the kindness campaigns. Everybody was talking about kindness, and her platform at the time when she won had something to do with kindness. So what we did is we brainstormed a unique way for her to get that message out, but to also create her own hashtag, and it was hashtag be selfless. We had T-shirts made with this. We sent this. We sent the T-shirts out to every single one of the state title holders and encouraged them to hashtag their volunteer service with a Be Selfless. And it was all about getting out there and promoting what you're doing as a title holder um, in the community and promoting your volunteer work and your community service work. A lot of people just assume that um, title holders are pretty girls and they they smile and that's what they do (laughs) and they don't see the amount of work that they are doing out in their community. So it was important for us to hashtag be selfless and and encourage everyone to do it. And what we saw is there was a, like I said, a real ground swelling of support among the local title holders and the state title holders. Again, bringing more attention to the organization and to the national title holder, but also just giving positive attention to pageantry in general. Well, I know you've had a chance to kind of see, um, the organizations the last few years. You've been a judge at many of the local state pageants. As you look at it today in 2019, MAO Teen, Miss Teen USA, either of the big teen organizations, what would you do right now if you had the opportunity to kind of bring them back to prominence? You know, that's interesting. Um, I think that Teen USA is very relevant And I like the message that Paula Shugard is promoting throughout her organization, and that is um, having substance, and it's, you know, positive pageantry, and it's beauty, um, confidently beautiful. And I think that's so important that girls realize that, you know, title holders should have substance. We as people in general should have substance. We have things we love and things we don't love and things that we work toward, and and, and we should be promoting what makes us unique. And and I really love that about the, the Teen USA program. I think that um, the Teen USA program, having moved to the activewear, opened it up so that more girls would feel comfortable in competing. And I think at a young age um, with body issues, I think that was very uh, important. I think that um, through social media, uh, I think that they should take the winner and just run with her and have her be the spokesperson for teen issues of today. And ha- I think they need to really latch on to that and, and really promote their teen winner. After all, it's the teens across the country that are feeding into these programs that are really the future, in my opinion, of Miss USA. Well, um, I do want to kind of transition here into your hosting career because, um, you know, a, a big reason that you are relevant, that you are successful, that you are doing all that you're doing today was really kind of stemmed from that QVC job um, that we mentioned in the beginning. Uh, I know that you have told me this, this story before, but for everybody listening who has never heard it, um, I would love for you to kind of tell them how you took a big chance and that chance paid off and it really made your career and getting to QVC. Yeah, you know, I had set a goal when I was 16 years old to work on national television, and I quite honestly didn't even know where national television was existing. I just knew (laughs) when I wrote it in my journal that I wanted to work on TV nationally. And it always stuck in my head that I needed to do the things that to check it off my list to build this goal. So when I started to compete for Miss West Virginia, it was, I thought it would open up doors in television. And it did. I um, met a wonderful man as we know Mike Simons, who is a weathercaster in West Virginia, who encouraged me to go into weather. And I actually got a job in my hometown. So I was 
hometown celebrity because I had been Miss West Virginia. I had been in the press every single week for an entire year and actually beyond my title. So almost two straight years of weekly press throughout the state or throughout the nation. And um, so having that title got me my very first job in local news. And then my, I was also hosting a radio talk show at the time and my radio talk show um, co-anchor came up to me, slapped down USA Today and said, they're hiring at QVC. You say you want to work on QVC. Put your money where your mouth is. (laughs) And I thought, oh, no, somebody's calling me out on this goal. So um, they had an open call. I couldn't make the open call. I was going to Miss Washington's wedding from my year of Miss America. I thought, well, I tried, and I sent a tape in instead, and I got a private interview at QVC. I'm pretty sure I probably threw up three times in the parking lot. I was so nervous. Walked in, and they were starting a second channel at the time. It was called What's News in TV Shopping. So it was all teleprompter, and it was the news of the day from QVC. I was hired to do that. That network lasted just one year, and there were eight of us all striving for one position on QVC. So again, you have to pull out your goal-setting skills and uh, just fight tooth and nail and work hard to try to to get to the next goal, and my goal was to be the host on QVC. So luckily, um, I was the last man standing, and I was hired for that job, and I was uh, at QVC for nine wonderful years, learning, I like to call it, uh, guerrilla sales training. (laughs) I learned how to have a very thick skin because we did do weekly tape reviews many times, and uh, I I learned um, everything you can imagine about brand building, and then also wonderful skills about just how to talk to people. You know, I had to interview everybody from somebody very nervous who had never been on television before, inventors who had risked their mortgages to bring products on the air and they were nervous, to presidents of companies, to some of the savviest TV people like Joan Rivers and Kathy Lee Gifford and uh, Richard Simmons and just Tony people Robbins. who had amazing pers- Tony Robbins, people with amazing personalities. So QVC taught me so much. Well, a quick backstory for those of you listening to Kim and I's relationship. So when I, uh, my very first TV job was in West Virginia. I, Kim, you worked in Parkersburg. I worked in Clarksburg. Uh, one of the things that I was researching for a sweeps period was I want to find uh, local celebrities or statewide celebrities that everybody would love to hear how they're doing. And so everybody told me, well, this Kim Parrish girl works at QVC. She's a former Miss West Virginia. So I started doing my research. Uh, we had obviously met through the pageant, and so I gave you a call and said, hey, what would you think of us coming up to QVC and following you for a day? And, of course, you were like, well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was awesome. Best yeah. day of my life. <laughs> yeah. No, we had, a, we had a great time. And I think the one thing that I remember, because I was not in TV hosting at this point at all. I mean, I was just early on in my news career, a total rookie. And I remember the thing that most impressed me about what you were able to do is, you know, as you mentioned, you get on the air with somebody And you'll talk for an hour, two, three hours straight without a teleprompter, just some background information, probably some bullet points and research that you did beforehand. But I guess talk about how you prepared yourself to be able to do that, because that's an incredible skill that I don't think a lot of people can do. And if you can do it well, you make a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I could meet with somebody prior to a show and give them, you know, three minutes. Tell me about your product in three bullet points. And in my chicken scratch, write it down on my blue card. And then we were expected to go out on the air and re-interview these people and sell the product. And then many times we had full hour shows without anybody. We did a lot of research. You know, what 
you don't see is what goes on behind the scenes. And we were constantly meeting with buyers and planners and um, product developers, understanding what made that particular product work. We even went on field trips um, to Italy and uh, the southern part of the United States to study to study jewelry in New York. We were in New York as well at jewelry manufacturing facilities. So there was a lot of behind the scenes studying. And then I never did my homework in school, so <laughs> I was always cramming for a test. I think that this right here was the perfect job for me because before a show, I would have to cram as much information as I could and then get on the air and spew it all back out. Well, I talk about, I, I, I'm interested <laughs> to talk about, I guess, Joan Rivers and Tony Robbins because those are obviously names that I think everybody listening probably knows. Tony Robbins, of course, you know, one of the world's foremost motivational speakers, coaches that, at this time. I think back then he was, uh, it was probably the personal power series. I would imagine he was marketing yeah. at that time. Yeah. What was it like to kind of work with people like that and building um, their initial fortune to help them build their their empires. Uh, Joan Rivers is was the hardest working woman in television, and and will always be known for that. And she was incredible, and she had so much integrity, and she would always make sure we never oversold or overpromised anything. So that to me um, was just important to me. And I, I learned so much from her with that. And when I actually launched my clothing collection, we took it to Canada and she was sitting in the green room. And I remember I hadn't seen her in a couple of years and I walk in, walked in and she said, Kim, it's good to see you. Give me one of your sweaters. I'll wear your sweater on the air. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. Joan Rivers, who is a fashion icon, wants to wear a Kim Parrish collection on the air. Amazing. So she was always just that, you know, that woman who wanted to help other people. So that was so impressive from her. Tony Robbins was just life. You know, he walked into a room, he gave workshops and seminars for the hosts. We had we had private sessions for um, for everything that we sold from him. And he was uh, just an incredible energy and force. But what I got from all of these people, whether it be Richard Simmons or Tony Robbins or Lori Grenier, who's on Shark Tank now, it was just do it. You have an idea, do it. Throw the spaghetti on the wall. Sometimes it sticks. Sometimes it doesn't stick. Sometimes you'll succeed immediately. Sometimes you might have to work harder to get that success, but just throw the spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. And I've always worked with that. Make quick decisions and make rational, well-educated decisions, but don't sit on it too long and start to doubt yourself. Just do it. Well, tell me about Lori Gurnier. Anybody that watches Shark Tank, she knows you know, she kind of self-professes herself as the queen of QVC. Obviously, you were there. You saw it. Is she the queen of QVC? I mean, was she that good? Oh, well, Lori Grenier had a knack for picking fantastic products that people wanted. And whether she invented them or, or found them and brought them on the air, they were great problem solution products. We launched a lot of today's special uh, values together at midnight. And um, it was always exciting to work with Lori Grenier. Probably one of my most exhilarating times um, at QVC was just listening to the producer in my ear around Christmas time when we were selling these little wax candles. They were shaped like mini muffins and they smelled so good. And um, Lori and I uh, were talking about, you know, how they smelled and how cute they are and what a great gift they are. And it was amazing because every 30 seconds, the producer in my ear would say, another thousand sold, 2,000 sold, 3,000 sold. <laughs> and then I'm looking at the clock on the counter at the bottom of the screen and it's saying 10,000 sold. And it, that's an adrenaline rush when you know that that many people are responding and, and that was a good product. So I, I was super excited. I got off the air higher than a kite that day because there's something to be said when you see that, that 
counter clicking, it brings you energy. <laughs> yeah, and the next one is like, where's my cut of this? You know, you're <laughs> thinking, man, I'm selling this for you. Give me some, give me some money. Exactly. Um, yeah, obviously, through all your experience on QVC, you have mentioned your collection several times throughout the interview here. Uh, you know, I guess was it just the experience of working with a lot of designers and seeing what everybody did and knowing how to sell them on air that you finally said, you know what, I just need to do this for myself so I can obviously make a lot more money doing this stuff. Yeah, I'd spent nine years at QVC. I think nine must be my magic number. Um, nine years at MAOT, nine years at QVC. So I think it was just, it was time. Um, I had worked with so many people that had expressed interest in wanting to invest in me or uh, suggesting I launch something else or wanting to work with me in a different capacity that I'd really listened to the universe. And I knew at that time that it was a very good time for me to leave and to start the next phase, uh, next chapter of my life. So um, I immediately started to work on this. I had to quit, obviously, and then started to work on the clothing line. And I wanted the clothing line to be different. What I had seen a lot in fashion at QVC was um, fashion for an older woman, a lot of big shirts and pull-on pants. And it really didn't necessarily represent who I was or um, somebody who was maybe shopping in the department stores. I wanted it to be a higher level of fashion, but still at affordable price points. And that's what we were able to create, a very Nanette Lepore kind of feeling, very feminine feminine fashion line, and then really focusing, too, on bringing in the basics. I knew when I was a host on QVC, I had to have quite a wardrobe, and we had stylists that would come into our closet, and I remember the very first time a stylist analyzed my closet. It, it, it was like surgery. I was so embarrassed. Um, she said, you, you don't have any basics. No wonder you can't get dressed, and you're frustrated. You don't have any basics, and that really resonated with me. I just didn't have the proper foundation in my closet to be able to build upon, so I really wanted my clothing line to really help women be confident about themselves, to look stylish, but to also just be able to go into a closet and pull out what she needed immediately and head out the door. So for those listening, and I know we have a, quite a few uh, girls who have graduated from the pageantry world, uh, own their own fashion companies um, selling. And I think a lot of people in today's world, uh, you know, because they watch Shark Tank and things like that, think QVC is kind of a gold mine. Um, you've seen it on the inside. You've been part of the selling process. Would you say that's accurate or is that need a little tweaking? I think QVC is, is brilliant in the strategy that it brings fashion and beauty and anything that you need to shop for into a woman's home where she's able to watch it come to life and shop comfortably. I also admire so many of these girls and I see so many pageant girls that have their own, um, their own shops on Instagram and online. I admire what they're doing. They're like the next wave of the future when it comes to shopping. And they are brilliant in the way that they market themselves and they market their brand. So I love to interview girls that have started their own businesses and they're only 20 years old because I think that that's, that's the generation. You know, kids see so much, they're exposed to so much. They become entrepreneurs at such a younger age. The cool thing about listening to my kids talk about businesses is kids have great ideas and it's the adults who squash the kids ideas because we have the fear. We know what reality is like and we fear reality and we fear the unknown. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier, throw the spaghetti on the wall, believe in yourself, make educated guesses, but just take chances in life. And when you take those chances, great things will come back to you. I think you need to make a t-shirt, throw the spaghetti on the wall and take chances. I, I like that. Right. Uh, so you are the first shopping host that I've had on this podcast. I've had a lot of hosts on in, in a lot of different genres. But as I talk to and interview a lot of these women, uh, 
both who are in the world and have graduated from the world, it seems to me that TV hosting is one of the biggest things that they all want to do. And it's really in three areas. Number one, an entertainment host, you know, kind of an E Entertainment Tonight, Access Hollywood type host. Two, a sports host, you know, an ESPN sideline reporter or something like that. And three, a shopping host. So for those listening who want to be or do what you have done, what would be some advice to them starting out? Because I actually had somebody reach out to me the other day and say, hey, I'm I'm getting into hosting. I'm a broadcast journalism major. What would your advice be? So I'm going to transfer that to you and say you've been in that world. What would your advice be right now to somebody who's just wanting to get into the world that you're in? Um, Interesting. So I think to be a good TV host, uh, TV shopping host, you have to be yourself. You have to be bubbly and energetic and positive. You can never have a bad day on TV. (laughs) So check your emotions (laughs) at the door and just know that when you're out there, you're connecting with somebody. So, and that's important in life. You just have to be able to have fun, make fun of yourself and connect with people. And it's okay to make mistakes too. I know so many times as a TV host, I would be in a cooking show burning myself. I would have, you know, frying grease popping in my face. I'd have sausages flying. I mean, you can imagine all the things that can go wrong when you're cooking on live TV. But the important thing was, um, is just, you just have to stay focused. So I think anybody who wants to be in the TV shopping industry, if you're doing things online, like, um, YouTube videos or you're um, doing any types of podcasts, that's great experience. Anytime that you can just talk about something or talk to somebody, ad-libbing, practice it. Pageants are great for that. I just recently judged a pageant over the summer that had such amazing contestants. They blew my mind. It was the USA National Miss, the the 13 to 15-year-old category, the girls' that I interviewed, and I interviewed 50 to 60 girls, and I was judging with Cara Mund and uh, Sarah Rose Summer, so we had the coolest judges panel. I was just happy to be on it. (laughs) And um, those girls, they could have carried on a conversation for days. They were bubbly. They knew who they were. They were filled with information. They had done their research, but they connected. And that's what's most important with the pageant interview or with life is just make that connection with somebody. So let's talk about Crepe Race. Um, Now, for anybody listening, if you don't recognize Kim's name, I guarantee you recognize her face. If you have the TV on on the weekend, or maybe if you're at the gym or some public place where they have all the TVs on, I guarantee you, you've seen this infomercial. Um, And Kim is at the forefront of it with Jane Seymour. Uh, Where did this come into play for you? Um, Actually, it kind of fell in my lap. I had... um I'd stopped the clothing line in 2011. I was running simultaneously the clothing line with MAO Teen, and MAO Teen was at a point where we were really growing. We would build the organization now to, our goal was to get scholarships from every university across the nation, and we were at $33 million in college scholarships that we were offering, and I believe we had like 18 colleges and universities on board. So that was growing, and I was taking that into a whole different direction with really promoting volunteerism and community service as well. And my clothing line was, um, uh, we went from the Home Shopping Network to Shop in BC, and I was also flying quite regularly to London, QVC, um, QVC UK, as well as TSC in Canada. So I was on a plane every seven to 10 days, and I was getting stretched way too thin, not to mention I had um, one son and another one that was coming into the picture. So um, I had to downsize, and when I downsized, I, I let the clothing line go, and I stayed with MAO Teen. And I said, I'm going, I don't, a lot of offers were coming at me at the time and I was just being very savvy about it. I was letting the universe kind of guide me and speak, speak to me and I was speaking to it and I was saying, 
I'm not going back to another television network unless it's QVC because I've been everywhere and QVC is the best. And I'm not going to do another infomercial unless it's Guthy Renker. They're the leader in the industry and they know great product. And I really don't want to develop anything or sign my name onto anything unless it's skincare because let's face it, I'm getting old. So <laughs> skincare <laughs> might be something that I can use. So I threw all that out and about six months later, my agent called me up and she said, Kim, you're never going to believe this. We've got a line with Guthy Ranker. It's skincare. They want to shoot an infomercial, but they want you to possibly take it to a network. And I thought, oh my goodness, people are listening. The universe is listening. <laughs> so that's when it all began. And that was somewhere around 2013. Um, I started to work with Crepe Race. Again, I don't believe in keeping all my eggs in one basket. So again, reaching, still consulting as the president of Miss America's Outstanding Teen, but now signing on to build this brand called Crepe Race. Crepe Race is the leader now in anti-aging skincare for the body. We launched on QVC almost three years ago, and it was an uh, incredibly um, popular launch, setting some sales records. And it has now grown from not just a anti-aging skincare for the body, but now we have anti-aging skincare for the face. We have serums for the body. We have eye treatments. We have lip treatments. Anywhere that you might find aging, crepey skin, we take the formulations, we level them up, we make them game-changing, and we are changing the way that women feel about themselves all across the world. So Guthy Rinker owns the product, not Jane Seymour? Yes. So Guthy Renker um, is actually the creator behind the product. And it's, it's very rare for Guthy Renker to create a brand. Typically, they, they produce the infomercials for some of the best brands that you see out there, like um, Proactive was the Guthy Renker product line. Cindy Crawford's um, line is the Guthy Renker line that they produce the infomercials for. But um, with this particular one, they took it from the very beginning and said, there's a void, nobody's doing it, and somebody needs to address this. Well, you must feel honored that Guthy Rinker reached out to you. I mean, that's, that's a big honor. Oh, it's absolutely huge. It was amazing. And you know what was even better? Um, it was going back into QVC where I had spent, you know, nearly a decade of my life and had worked and grown up around some really smart, creative people, hardworking people. QVC work ethic is like nothing. And to walk back in the building and to see everybody and just to be embraced, you know, that's like such an amazing feeling. Um, having taken that much time off, it had been about a decade, uh, 12 years since I had walked into QVC. And I thought, I hope people remember me. <laughs> you know, you're, you're always humbled. You're like, I hope people remember me. And it was amazing to be able to walk back in and just pick right back up with all my own friends. So you continue on with that today. Um, I believe, uh, you know, since we've, we've last talked a few years ago, MAO teen and you separated. Um, do you still have that urge to want to participate in the pageant world? Yeah, you know, um, I got drugged back into the pageant world um, in a fun way. It was uh, a few years ago. I think it, it had a lot to do with you, Tim Tiado, maybe talking about me um, at a at a dinner at that. one point. And yeah, <laughs> all good things I hear. But um, then I got I got brought back in through Paula Miles to judge um, one of her pageants. And Paula is an extraordinary pageant director. She um, directs in the Miss USA system four of the leading states. And she had asked me to judge Miss Alabama that year. And I loved it. And you and I know who won Miss Alabama that year. It was Hannah Brown, who <laughs> later became the Bachelorette. Who's you, you now what, say, Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> oh my. I know. And she blew me away because when we talk about how important it is to connect to people, she sat down in that interview and connected and it was powerful. So that's what I mean in life. Just make a connection to somebody because you'll be able to move people. Well, you know what's really interesting about her is uh, 
the year before you judged, uh, Hannah came in and she didn't make top 15. She was bleach blonde, oh. um, probably not as in, in as good a shape as she was in the night you judged her. And I remember just thinking there is something about this girl. She's got tremendous presence. She just needed a little polish. And then when she came in that year, um, I remember when she came to registration, I was like, oh, she came, she came to play. And you know, and you know what as, she said? What? She said in her interview, this is the year I decided I was just going to be me. And if me wasn't enough, that was okay. And I thought, wow. Like, <laughs> she, she, did she was? Because me was good. I mean, she, she was great at being herself. And that's where I think a lot of girls come into pageants and they try to be the last year's winner or they try to be more than they are or they're intimidated or they're scared or they think they have to be somebody else. And, and you don't. If you just show your unique um, self, then that is enough. And you remember her reaction when we announced her as the winner. I mean, she, she showed that she's just real. I mean, there, there aren't many reactions like Hannah Brown's reaction. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, so Paula Miles had me judge that one. And since then, I've come in and I've judged several. I had a chance to have a couple conversations with Paula Shugart um, and just wonderful um, meetings and encounters with lots of the pageant directors in the USA system from all over and just really have fallen in love with that program and getting to understand it and know it. And I think the challenges in that program are the challenges across the board everywhere. You know, girls are not showing up to compete in the same numbers that they used to. And we all have to analyze it and wonder, why is this? Why are girls just not that interested in competing in pageants anymore? And we have to think, well, social media is taking a lot of their attention right now, and they're, they're getting a lot of the attention from the videos that they post on TikTok talk and YouTube and Instagram and all of that. And they may not see this as that stepping stone as I did to the next phase of, of their life if they want to go into TV. They may be building it through Instagram and whatever. But I think what these girls are not realizing is what you gain from being a pageant winner is irreplaceable. For me, when I became Miss West Virginia, I used it as a full-time job. And I learned how to write my own press releases and send them out. And that, that was back in the day before really anybody was using the internet. So we had to actually put a stamp on it and mail it. Go figure, right? And uh, <laughs> I, um, I know. And um, I learned how to market myself and network myself. And I also then had to schedule my own appearances. And we had a business manager, but they didn't do a whole lot at that time. So I wrote hundreds of letters to schools and organizations and asked for speeches and traveled over 200,000, uh, over 40,000 miles and made over 200 appearances. And for me, it was just getting my name out there because I knew I was gaining so much from it, not just the networking to go to the next job, but just the experiences in general where I was sticking my neck out to do something that may or may not have been familiar to me at that time. Uh, I did it. And that, when I walked through the doors at QVC, made that job so much easier because I had talked to every, all different types of people. And I had been in many, many different types of circumstances. And uh, it made it a lot easier to sit next to some people that I idolized and interview them on, on the set and feel like it was okay. I'm your equal. We're all the same. Well, you know, you know that I admire you greatly. And, I, you know, anytime I talk to anybody about the pageant industry and people are like, you know, who could we get involved that could really help bring this thing back? In the back of my mind, I'm always like, Kim Parrish, Kim Parrish, Kim Parrish. He's, 
that's who you need to call. And, you know, I hope someday we can get you back involved somehow at that level because I think you would uh, do a very, very good job of uh, reinvigorating either Teen USA or MAO Teen or whatever it is. Um, and I would love to see that. So uh, if you're open to it, I-, I will certainly be advocating for you. Oh, that's awesome. You know what I love about pageants is just how they teach empowerment to young women. And that I, whether I'm involved in a pageant or not, I just think that girls need that confidence and they need that empowerment. Of course, being involved in a pageant, as I I was at MAO Teen and as I do behind the scenes in many other ways, um, I feel like we're able to make a difference in girls' lives and and that's that's all that matters. I also am a brand builder, so I I have to be very honest with you. I'm addicted at taking something (laughs) that is a little broken or struggling or new and building it into a viable brand image. So that is like a craving. That is exactly (laughs) what it means. Well, uh, I'll put this interview out there. Hopefully the right people hear it. Uh, one more question I have for you before we get into our rapid-fire get-to-know-you questions. Um, we mentioned it in your intro. You wrote a book called The Snapdragon Princess. Now, I didn't know this, and <laughs> I'd love to hear about it. Tell everybody about it if you would. This goes back to if anybody asks you to do something, never say no, say yes, and then figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I was the president of Miss America's Outstanding Teen at the time, and one of our state directors was a publisher, and she said, Kim, you need to write a book. And I thought, I have, a, I have a baby, I have two full-time jobs that I'm building national brands, and you want me to sit down for, <laughs> and write a book? And she says, you'll be fine. And in fact, um, let's meet on it. We'll talk about it, discuss it. I'll take you through the steps. She was wonderful. Her name's Deb Landry. And in fact, Deb is now involved in the USA National Miss program, and she's the reason why I judged this summer. So we sat down, we wrote this book. Um, beautifully illustrated, gorgeous book about a little girl who wants to be a princess someday. And um, she learns a lot about um, coming of age of, of really women in history and women in society. And it's just a gorgeous um, little book, but that book has um, just been so much fun over the years. Deb and I just did an autograph signing on that book uh, in Orlando this summer, Deb co-authored it with me. We sat in between Cara Mund and Sarah, <laughs> Sarah Summers. They were signing autographs and we were signing books and I was signing girls' sashes. And it, it was just such a cool experience because that book, I think I wrote it about 10 years ago. So it, it's just such a cool experience, but it goes back to never say no. If you think it's a great opportunity and you're doubting yourself, just figure out a way to do it. Well, and I think you are the uh, model for work ethic. Um, you know, I've seen you work <laughs> over your career and man, you, you'll take on a few jobs and you'll figure it out. I know it's tough sometimes and you've certainly taken your toll over the years just doing that, but man, just so proud of you. Thank you. Yay. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire. Get to know Kim Parrish questions. So it's kind of like the last round of Family Feud. Ten questions. It's quick. I'll put some music under it. Are you ready? No. Of course you're (laughs) nervous. Oh, you can do this. You're great at this. Ready? Here we go. Number one, texting or talking? Texting. Number two, favorite gig that you've worked in your career? Um, TV host on QVC. Number three, favorite city in the U.S. besides the one that you live in? Oh, New York. Number four, nickname your parents used to call you if they did. Snoop. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Probably because I snooped around a lot. <laughs> oh, it had nothing to do with rap. Okay, good. <laughs> Number five, last song you downloaded or listened to? Uh, something from Dean Lewis. Number six, would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, I'd love to be able to talk to animals. 
I think everybody loves that one. Number seven, what's your favorite holiday? Um, I'm going to go with Christmas because it's a lot of work, but the outcome is so much fun. And you get those 10,000 orders from those candles, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Number eight, how long does it take you to get ready in the morning? Well, Tim, um, it's the middle of the afternoon and I have yet to shower. So um, it's been, I've been working hard today. I'm going to say maybe five minutes. I may jump in the shower, throw some lip gloss on and head out the door. I'm that's easy. A, that's a record. I love it. Number nine, scale of <laughs> one to ten, how good of a driver is Kim Parrish? Um, well, I would like to think I'm a 10, but I just had Veronica Olinger over, who was Miss Montana. Her and my best friend, Amanda Tomasi, who used to be the scholarships director at uh, MAO Teen, both talked about times that I made them throw up from car sickness. So I, I don't know what pe- these people are saying. I am a number 10 driver. I'm amazing. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. All right. <laughs> last one, number 10. Fill in the blank. Taylor Swift is... Uh, inspiring to some girls. I, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really think about qualifying that one. I don't, I think so. I think she inspires some girls, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively, sometimes tongue-in-cheek, but um, she definitely makes a statement. Very good. You are off the hook. Thanks for answering the 10 questions. Way to go. Thank you. That was easy. Thank you. Well, hey, you know, I always love talking to you, and uh, thanks for sharing all this. I think uh, a lot of people have probably learned a lot about MAO Teen and, and obviously TV hosting that they didn't know today. So super cool. Thanks for sharing. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to take a walk down memory lane. Yeah, and I hope to catch you this walk. fall on a, on a judging table at one of the pageants, hopefully. Me too. Me too. That'll be fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Kim Parrish for her time. Now, if you want to follow Kim on social media, you can check out her Instagram and Twitter, at Kim Parrish TV. And by the way, Parrish is with two R's. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram, at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Matthew 23, 12. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Talk to you next week, everybody.